Let him have it great. Let him have it great. Let him have it great. You're listening to Aerial View Worldwide on the Internet. What kind of radio show is this? I've heard his voice on the tape and it really put the hook in my podcast many, many times. And the buffoons. I know how to talk to people. That's clear as a mother's old bell. My God, this man go on the air and deliver a coded message. You're out of your mind. I'm not out of my mind. Oh, come on. Now, we're going to listen to what he said on the air. Because all we're dealing with here, after all, Oh, 
End of part one. Intermission. End of intermission. Part two. End of part two. Part three. Later that evening. I thought I'd never get here. Hey, it's me, Chris T, here on TheHoundNYC.com with a brand new Aerial View. And uh, so good to be here with you. And so good to once again uh, be welcoming special guests in just a few minutes. Our returning champion... Ken Katkin, who will court disaster one more time and talk to us all about what's been going on at the Supreme Court. SCOTUS. I had a case of SCOTUS. My doctor gave me some cream. It cleared up right away. Ken, of course, is a uh, professor of constitutional law at the Salmon P. Chase School of Law in Northern Kentucky University. And the chief custodian at Trash Flow Radio on WAIF FM 88.3 in the Cincinnati area. Also online at WAIFFM.org. And I know I screwed up some part of that. And uh, it's WAIF883.org. Ken will correct me when he joins us in just a few. And, um,. The reason Ken is on this show so often is I am fascinated by the machinations of the Supreme Court because it really does set how you and I will live our lives. What we get to have, what we don't get to have, who leads us, who doesn't lead us, whether or not you can get an abortion. And I got to say... Every time I read the climate crisis news, I just think, hmm, more people. That's a good idea. Not to sound cynical, but since when have I not sounded cynical? It's almost like uh, a birth defect, if you will. So uh, today, there's a couple of things I want to get to before we speak to Ken. And and one is to say goodbye to a friend and colleague, Mojo Nixon, who uh, passed away a couple of days ago aboard the Outlaw Country Cruise. And um, what a way to go. Mojo was only 66 years old. He's one of those figures who burned candle at both ends, as they like to say. He was uh, balls to the wall. And I know because I saw his balls. You know, Mojo liked to wear shorts all the time. And a couple of times, uh, those old duffel bags would slip out from a leg. And you would just have to allow it because it was Mojo. It's like they say in court, I'll allow it. Mojo was a force of nature. Came to prominence, of course, with Elvis is Everywhere, which turned out to be a sleeper MTV hit, and then songs like uh, Debbie Gibson is Pregnant with My Two-Headed Love Child, and 
tie my pecker to my leg and oh so many more classics and um we ended up together at Sirius XM on the Outlaw Country Channel and we became friends and we would spend a lot of time on the air with each other and it was always a good time Mojo was built for being a radio DJ he had all the tools and he hosted not one but three shows at Sirius XM he was of course the loon in the afternoon on the Outlaw Country Channel, but he also had Manifold Destiny on the NASCAR Channel. And a show called Lying Cocksuckers, which they kept moving around from one political channel to another. But the title alone told you what Mojo thought of politics. And... Um, it was always great when we would get together in real life, when we had a few moments to spend time with each other, which happened a few times over the years. Uh, one year, while the wife and I, well, Sweet Tea and I were out in California, we made a special trip down to San Diego to visit Mojo and family on the beautiful island of Coronado. And what a time that was. Oh, that was a great time. Went out to dinner, had some drinks. And, uh, of course, every time he would come to New York, he'd come to the studios and hang out in person. And then there was the Outlaw Country Cruise. And, and Mojo was the king of that cruise. I don't care who else was on that boat. You could talk about your Lucinda Williamses and your Bottle Rockets. And don't ask me to recite the lineup from memory I'm not going to be able to do that but when Mojo would walk the halls all you'd hear is Mojo you booger eating moron he was beloved in that way that we all wish we could be beloved but I know I'm not <laughs> I'm uh, I'm too difficult uh, a personality let's put it that way but uh, but Mojo they forgave all his sins because uh, they knew that inside all of those layers of uh, the the Mojo Nixon experience, I'm not sure what else to call it, was a truly loving and giving man. And he helped a lot of people. So he will be sorely missed. So long, Mojo. He has merged with the infinite. And... When I tell you uh, I heard the news, and, and, and I believe it was Wednesday when the news broke. I, I, it was one of those days when I was away from screens all day long because I kind of wanted to be. And sometimes I take a day to just do things in the real world rather than interact with fucking screens. And so by the time I picked up my phone later on that afternoon, it was somewhere between 5 and 7 p.m., and saw that he had died, I, I was flabbergasted. There's a word the kids aren't using anymore. How many kids are saying flabbergasted? When will Taylor Swift use it in a song? That's what I want to know. And what else is there to discuss before we bring Ken aboard? Well, today is the 60th anniversary of a seismic shift in uh, the perceptions of your average American, it is the day the Beatles performed on the Ed Sullivan Show. 
They uh, did five songs, and uh, one of them was the show, the song that I started the show with, All My Lovin'. And they also did uh, Till There Was You, I Saw Her Standing There, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and a fifth song to be named later. I don't know the fifth song. But it, it said that 73 million Americans tuned into that show. It doesn't say Americans. It says people. Uh, so maybe there were people watching Ed Sullivan in other countries. I don't know how you did that back in 1964. I have no idea. I'd like to think that I was sitting in front of the TV. Oh, the fifth song, by the way, was She Loves You. I like to think that as a two-year-old, just over the age of two, or actually not quite yet two, because I would have turned two in, in September of 64, I like to think that as a youngin, I was one of those 73 million motherfuckers sitting there watching the Beatles blow the tops of everybody's minds off. Now, uh, there's a lot of Beatles haters out there, and, and I get it, I get it. You're so fucking cool, you can't admit that the Beatles were great. Good for you. And uh, some of the things I like to uh, hear and sneer at later in the privacy of my own home is shit like, They were other rock and roll bands, why do they get all the attention? That's always a good one. I like that one. Or, uh, what about this band? Or what about that band? They're just as good. Eh, I mean, if you can't give yourself over to the phenomenon that was the Beatles, I, I, I can't help you. I'm sorry. And, and I just don't understand people who want to die on that hill. I just don't get it. Just let's all just admit there's never going to be another Beatles. Eh, you can have your conversations about the aforementioned Taylor Swift all you want. There's never going to be another seismic shift like that that happened on this day in 1964. That led to the formation of God knows how many bands and the sale of how many electric guitars. So let's all just agree to disagree on that one. And at this point, it's time to say hello to Ken Katkin. Hey, Chris. What did I get wrong when I introduced you, by the way? Oh, no, I think you had everything right. Jesus, how did that happen? <laughs> And actually, you were talking about Mojo Nixon. You know, he was my he was my neighbor. He just lived right up the road from me in Cincinnati. That's right. He he left uh, Coronado at some point because um, I think something to do with family back in Ohio. He wanted to be back in Ohio, and he moved. So I yeah. I wasn't clear on where he was in Ohio, but you say Cincinnati, huh? Yeah, I never knew really why he came here either. I, I know he did go to college here. He went to college at Miami of Ohio, which is in the suburbs of Cincinnati. And uh, but then he was gone for a long time again. And when he came back, he became like the morning DJ on WEBN, which is like our big, like, you know, classic rock station. But I don't know if he came here because he got that job here or if he, you know, decided to come here and then looked for a job and they were happy to have him. I don't, I don't know which which was the chicken and which was the egg there. But he didn't stay at WEBN very long because he after he came here to do that, he switched to Sirius XM where you worked with him. Well, he yeah, he was always on Sirius XM because he could have done that job for anywhere. That that was not a live 
he wasn't DJing live. It was voice tracked, as they called it. So really, if you got good at it, like, for instance, I did a three-hour or four-hour show on the Outlaw Country Channel. I got to the point where I can knock out a four-hour show because you're just doing the mic breaks right. in 40 minutes, you know? And and you could do it from little, literally anywhere if you had a laptop and a microphone. So Yeah, well, he was he was here for a long time. I guess you said you visited him in California. So when when was that? That was either 2008 or 2009. Uh, it was fairly early in his days on the Outlaw Country Channel because, uh, yeah. Because yeah. I think he's been doing that show from Cincinnati for at least a decade. So, yeah, he must have moved, you know, somewhere between 15 and 10 years ago, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I, I did hear, I think I heard that he went back to Ohio because either one of his sons was going to school there and they were going to be like the support system or there was a family issue why they plus Coronado is hideously expensive i mean hideously <laughs> i mean san, san diego was expensive even back then and coronado was the most expensive part of san diego so i can understand the impetus to make your dollars to stretch your dollars by getting yeah, the fuck lived, out of um, coronado so he didn't he didn't live right in town there's a there's this hill outside of cincinnati called indian indian hill and it's probably the most expensive zip code in Ohio, but he didn't live up there either. Peter Frampton lived up there, but uh, um, Mojo Nixon didn't. But if you go down the the back side of Indian Hill, like down the hill, then there's a a, a, a kind of sort sort of semi rural neighborhood called Camp Denison, and that's where he lived. So it was probably about um, I'm going to say about eight eight miles out from the city, and uh, he was uh, you know he was he would be seen around town from time to time, but I think he tried to lay lower here than, you know, what his persona would... It's hard to think of him as someone who lays low, but he laid relatively low in Cincinnati. I don't think Mojo is the kind of person who would have been recognized all that much, like, out in public. I'm not sure people would have been like, hey, aren't you Mojo Nixon? But maybe. I mean, you know, I don't know. I I wasn't necessarily walking around with him. I, I was on the Outlaw Country Cruise, and if we were walking down... What do they call it on a ship? The Corridor? Yeah. If we were walking the, the down aft, the corridor... The mast or something. Who knows what, whatever what. the hell... <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, people, of course, would know who the hell Mojo was. Um, and, and, you know, he, again, he was a very beloved figure. He'll be sorely missed. And I, uh, I'm always shocked when, and, and, you know, you do that thing where you start doing the math and you think, well, I'm, I'm almost that old. Damn. You know, I'm not that far off. It's not that far off 66 for me. So, and, yeah, you, and you were two years old when the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show. I was, uh, just over... A year old, so I would have ah. been like a year and a few months, a year and four or five months, and I don't even know if I had a, you know, could have formed a uh, co coherent thought at that age. I doubt it. I can't form a coherent thought now. So, quite like yeah, well, you made it. You made a coherent argument uh, in favor of the Beatles. Uh, you know, just a few minutes ago, you, you know, to, sought to you know refute some some arguments you've heard um, uh, in opposition to the Beatles. I, you know, uh, Ken, you're you're a music lover. Uh, I mean, that's what you do. You know, that's tra that's what Trashville Radio is all about. And and so you've uh, encountered these people who just have had it. They they're fed up with Beatles exposure. Although maybe now because of Taylor Swift, it's not like we moved on quite a bit from that, don't you think? I mean, you know, are, are people still all up in the Beatles butt? You know, I, I guess I would I would not play them on Trash Flow Radio, but I don't I don't have anything against them. But I, I yeah. kind of also feel like I wouldn't play them on the radio because it's, it's you know, overexposure. 
It's just over, it's overexposure. It's just a exactly. case of overexposure. Yeah. So I, overexposure is one thing, but denying their impact is another, or downplaying their greatness is another thing entirely. You can you can be sick of the overexposure, um, but you can't say, eh, they weren't that good. There's other bands that were better. You know, I mean, that's just a very, to me, that's a heavy lift. And I'm not sure why you would waste your time doing that. You know? Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't waste my time doing it. Although I, you know, I, I don't know. I probably would. I could take the position that Little Richard, who preceded them, was already better than them. You know, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's obvious they were better than any, uh, anybody I didn't, else. I didn't say better. I said you can't <laughs> deny the impact they made. The impact. Right, I agree. They Certainly, they had and an impact. They they had an impact, and and one of their greatest impacts, obviously, was how many people went out and started bands. It's like that thing about the Velvet Underground. You know, everybody who listened to the Velvet Underground, went out and started a band. Well, everyone who heard the Beatles went out and started a band. They got an electric guitar and started a band. And there's a lot of bands that we wouldn't have, we would have never heard of, performers, were it not for them. So, unfortunately, you could, and you could make a fair argument that the reason Little Richard wasn't as successful as they were was some form of racism, some form of discounting. Uh, black performers and you could make all kinds of arguments about whether or not the Beatles themselves um, were appreciative of enough of what came before them. I tend to think they were. They were fairly gracious about who their influences were and who they brought on the, those early tours with them, who they wanted to open for them, for instance. So I do think, you know, uh, in that regard they were. But yeah, we're all at this point, we've reached full Beatles saturation. So, uh, which sure. member of the Supreme Court, by the way, do you think is the real Beatles fan? That's what I want to know. Uh, which member of the court would be the real Beatles fan? You know, I I, I think it would be possibly more likely, uh, pro- well, probably Kagan, because she seems like she wants to be really like the most kind of have very mainstream, very establishment kinds of tastes. But I also think that, um, you know, either, either uh, Gorsuch uh, or even Roberts, um, you know, kind of think of themselves as a little bit hip. So it could could be those guys, too. What is uh, Justice Thomas cranking in his RV? That's what I want to know. Oh, I have an idea because you do a radio show, right? W.A.I.F. 88.3 FM. W.A.I.F. 883.org is where you can hear Trash Flow Radio Saturdays, 3 p.m. Let's put together a, a, a Justice Thomas RV playlist, like what he's listening to. In his RV as he goes down the road. Oh, that is interesting. Um, and actually, I got to correct the web link first. It's actually waifradio.org. Uh, uh, the other the other one that you said, believe it or not, was hijacked by a former uh, uh, chief engineer of the station who, that who left the station. That piece of shit. The, Are you kidding that? me? Really? Someone hijacked the website? Someone who who had control over the website and then became like a persona non grata at the station, he changed all the passwords and he took the website with him. So the website that you were citing was that old one. Um, son of he, a bitch. He, yeah, son of a bitch is right. We called the o- Ohio Attorney General's fraud unit about that because he's you know fraudulently using that website and pretending that he still has something to do with the radio station. But meanwhile, we had to start uh, a new website. So it's WAIF Radio, W-A-I-F Radio.org. This is since um, the last time you and I spoke this happened? No, I think it oh. happened before that. But oh, I don't know really? if we gave out the web address last oh, time. Oh, damn. Yeah. All it right, happened well, about a year ago. 
boy, is my face red. But that doesn't change the value of this uh, Justice yeah. Thomas uh, yeah. RV playlist. Well, I'm trying to, actually, I I, it's part, hard for me to get a complete read on him. Like, I feel like on the one hand, his tastes would probably run to like pre-rock and roll type music. But okay. on the other hand, uh, you know, he... He seems like he's into like stuff that, you know, younger, you know, just the fact that younger right wing bro types would be into something would probably make him into something. So I could see him, you know, being into some kind of, you know, like metal or something like that. You know, I don't know. What do you think? Whoa. Wow. Interesting. Metal. I, I hadn't thought of that. No, I that didn't occur to me. But like now I want to know what kind of metal like your classic Black Sabbath metal or uh, don't tell me he's a Led Zeppelin fan. I'd be. Very no, sure. I don't think so. I don't think he would be into any music that you or I could think of as good. Okay. But I think there's just like a world of like, you know, kind of really lame metal out there that you and I would never listen to. But that's kind of like, you know, what the, 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 the young, you know, right wing jock types, you know, kind of, uh, you know, organize themselves around. So maybe that would be what, you know, I'm only spitballing. I really have no knowledge about this, but that's just what I'm kind of guessing. That's all right. I, I, I did get the hear a good portion of the oral arguments yesterday by the way in the uh the the case of uh colorado trying to take trump off the ballot um and it didn't sound like it's going well for colorado am i am i wrong about that no of <laughs> course you're right about it. that's what we talked about the last time i was on remember i happened to be on with you the very day that the court agreed to hear that case and uh at, at that time i told you how it was going to go and it went exactly like that yeah well who was most surprising to you which justice do you think uh was most surprising in terms of the questions that were being asked of uh, the Trump lawyers? I'm going to say probably Justice Jackson. Uh, mm. I, I think she was more sympathetic to the Trump lawyers than I would have expected. Like, I, I already knew that, um, you know, all the, the, the all the Republican justices were going to vote on Trump's side. And so there's at least six votes there. I wasn't sure how all the Democratic justices were going to go. I, I and, and you'll remember, we did talk about this. I, I thought there was a decent chance that some of the Democratic justices would also vote with with the Republican justices here if they could steer the opinion more towards um, really reaffirming the importance of democracy in our system um, and not taking choices away from voters. I thought that was a, a, a theme that some of the Democratic justices would go for also. But, you know, I think Jackson was actually throwing some some softballs to the Trump lawyers, even even about kind of stupid technical arguments to help them out. And that that really did surprise me a little bit. So it, it surprised me as well, the 30 or so minutes that I heard. I mean, how long was this uh, going on, by the way? Do you know how long the session was? Um, oh, I, I think it was nearly two hours. Two hours. And, and they had scheduled it to possibly go longer. So some people were saying two hours actually meant it wrapped up uh, uh, quickly. Uh, now, that's much longer than a typical Supreme Court uh, oral argument. They usually limit them to 30 minutes. But because this was being heard in this emergency posture, they they dedicated a lot more time to it. And they, they could have gone up to three hours, but they cut it off at two hours. This all turns on whether or not Section 3 of the 14th Amendment applies to Donald Trump because well, of could, his efforts to that. stay in I mean, office. I, I actually don't think that's a serious issue. And I was actually a little shocked that the some of the Democratic justices took that issue seriously. I, I think it very obviously applies to Donald Trump. But um, and I actually think the majority um, is going to um, not I don't think the majority in this case is going to say that it doesn't. Um, but I, but it seemed to me like th that is one off ramp for them. Right. There's this off ramp where they could say uh, it doesn't apply to Trump. And I think the technical reason they were trying to give for that, which Justice Sotomayor did push back against because it's just ridiculous. And she's tried to point out how ridiculous it is, is it has to do with the interplay 
between the language um, in Section 3 about the oath of office um, and the language uh, in Article 2 earlier in the Constitution that sets forth what the president's oath of office is, right? So the the the, the president's oath of office, I, I can read this to you from Article 2. It's just one sentence. Please do. He sa- yeah. The, 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 the president has to say, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the president of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So the Constitution tells us that that's the oath that the president takes, and that's Trump took it just like every other president. He said, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the president of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. But somehow he's not an officer. Yeah. In article, in the 14th Amendment, Section 3, what it says here is that um, no, no, uh, no civil officer of the United States, having previously uh, taken an oath to support the Constitution, um, and then engaged in insurrection or rebellion or give aid or comfort to the enemies, can be eligible to be uh, um, uh, president. Now, there's this very technical argument here that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, uses the word support the Constitution, whereas the oath clause in Article 2 uses the word uh, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. So they're, they're trying to say, no, he never took an oath to support the Constitution. He only took an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. That's something completely different. Whereas, you know, all the other officers who aren't the president and who don't take the presidential oath they take an oath to support the Constitution. Now, that seems to me like the most moronic technical argument I've, I can even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what would you have said? To him you, because I, he only promised, he only swore to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. He never swore to support the Constitution. So, yeah, I mean, how how does that scan? That doesn't it's, scan. It's, it's, it's retarded. Well, you know, and, and, and another thing that um, Justice Sotomayor did point out in her questioning was... That even if you accept that argument, um, it's intensely gerrymandered only to benefit Donald Trump and, and not even to benefit other presidents. Because ever since George Washington, um, Trump is the first president since George Washington who took the oath of presidential office, having never taken any other uh, oaths for any other office. Okay. So every every other person who's ever been president. You know, even if the presidential oath didn't satisfy this, they would have already taken, you know, one of the other oaths of office for some other office that would have used the word support. So they would have already taken an oath to support the Constitution. And in so, those oaths, you're you're essentially swearing fealty to the Constitution. Yeah, I mean, yes. just even to be like a mayor, you know, to be a mayor, to be on a city council, to be a state legislator, to be in the House or the Senate, mm-hmm. you know, to be in the military, you know, any any of these oaths, you know, they, they take an oath to support the Constitution and not to engage in insurrection or rebellion. But the, um, you know, the president, because the words are right in the Constitution itself, he says he'll, do, to the best of his ability, preserve, protect and defend the Constitution. But for one thing, it's moronic to say that mean, has any different meaning. It has the same meaning. And, and, for, and for another thing, you know, it would be a, a, a get Trump out of jail free card that would literally not even apply to anyone else who's been president since George Washington, because they so, would have taken oaths more than one time. So they would have taken both, both oaths. It's just saying because he never held any public office before. He gets a special right to engage in insurrection and rebellion and give aid or comfort to America's enemies um, that, that none of the other presidents have had. I did hear Justice Kagan make the point that 
if they allow this to happen, if they allow Trump to be removed from the Colorado ballot, it could set a precedent that would make the states, uh, you know, basically having this incredible power over national elections, removing people. I love, by the way, when you're dealing with an ex- like a character like Donald Trump, somebody who we haven't yet seen in American politics, there's always this thought that suddenly it's he's going to open the floodgates to a whole bunch of people like him and then that that we're going to start having these things that are extraordinary happening on a regular basis rather than treat him as an anomaly and and someone who who comes along god hopes god help us never again uh there's always this idea like well if we do this to him then what about all the other what about all the other cases that are going to happen all the other states that are going to declare that people are ineligible to be on the ballot. And I'm like, really? Is that really what's going to happen? Are well, we I really that worried? Think, yeah. I think you have to think two ways about why Kagan was um, engaging that line of questioning. So the way you were looking at it is that that's stupid. It, obviously, it would be possible to have a, a political framework where people who had actually engaged in insurrection or rebellion like Donald Trump got kicked off ballots and and people who didn't didn't get kicked off ballots, and and if you had some bad faith uh, local official, you know, I, you know, wrongly kicking someone off a ballot just for bullshit reasons, um, courts should be able to overrule that. So that's all that's all true, and you're right about all that. But I th- I do give Kagan a little credit for for still going down that road because I I don't think she was actually believing it, but I think what she was looking f- for was a strategic way that she could trade her votes to the Republicans. It, which who are going to win anyhow, right? The Republicans are going to win. It's either going to be six three or seven two or eight one, but the Republicans are all going to vote in Trump's favor. And I think what Kagan is thinking is, well, it would be value to the it would be valuable to those Republicans to get a Democratic vote on on board with them because then it'll look more legitimate. It won't just look partisan. So I could offer them my vote uh, if they um, you know give me something in exchange for that. And I think the thing that she wants in exchange is that all of the justifications for why they're putting Trump back on the ballot um, relate to the idea of having, uh, um, you know, having democracy, having elections where the people can vote for who they want to vote for and state and local officials can't um, uh, uh, interfere with that and can't throw people off the ballot for, for bad reasons. Now, obviously here they're throwing Trump off the uh, ballot for a good reason, but I think it's it's um, still, it's a preemptive thing she's doing. She's saying, you know, that it, that wouldn't be a bad principle to get the whole Supreme Court on board with. You know the principle that 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 bad faith state and local officials uh, don't have any ability to throw Joe Biden off the ballot. You know, and and that if she can turn the the defeat uh, in the Trump the issue of whether Trump can get on the ballot or not into a victory in terms of what principle is the court going to articulate for that? Um, you know, not let them do it based on one of these idiotic uh, technicalities, but instead do it uh, on a principle that generally will be beneficial to democracy. Um, you know, I think that's that's the that's the, the game she was playing, and I Wait, think that's when, why when you say idiotic technicalities, are you also referring to what Justice Jackson pointed out about how the text in the amendment doesn't specifically mention president, but it lists a whole bunch of other offices? Yeah, yeah, that's another what I would call an idiotic technicality. There's absolutely no doubt that the president is an officer of the United States, and the 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 text does mention that. In fact, the reason it mentions a few other offices, senator, representative, uh, elector in the Electoral College, um, is because those people are not officers of the United States, right? So it says, if you're a senator, if you're a representative, if you're in the Electoral College, 
or if you hold uh, any civil or military office, um, then you, you can't uh, be elected again. If you, you can't be elected or appointed again if you've engaged in uh, insurrection after taking an oath not to. Now, well, um, the, 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 the president obviously is an officer, so he doesn't need to be separately listed the way the senators and the representatives do, because the senators and representatives are not officers. Did, did Colorado's lawyers point that out when it was their turn? Yeah. They did. Yeah, of okay. course. Because I didn't hear that part. Not, he, he's, uh, he fits two categories on this list because he's both a civil officer and a military officer. And they're both included here. Yeah. He's the commander in chief of the United States Armed Forces. He's, so he's two a military officers. Officer. That's, I hope that's what they said. I hope they got up and said, Justice Jackson, he's not just one officer. He's two officers. Yeah. He's, yeah. Well, I think they did. And, and I don't know why Justice Jackson was going down that road because it's just moronic. But, um, but I think Justice Kagan wasn't going down that road. And I think so Justice Kagan's questions about, um, you know, wouldn't it be um, bad if, if state and local officials could just declare that they wanted to throw people off the ballot and then throw them off. I, I think that she figures, you know, might as well, it'd be good for her to get the, all the Republican justices on board with that because that's going to prophylactic, prophylactically solve some problems that these Trumpers would probably cause later. You know, that, that probably yeah, you'd have- a MAGA you know, condom, if you will. So isn't this what yeah. uh, Ch Chief Justice Roberts also brought up, that the idea- that this could lead to some kind of chaos. And yeah, Alito yeah. mentioned the uh, unimaginable consequences of letting this happen. And, and meanwhile, the lawyers for Colorado are saying, well, why we can we look past the potential consequences? Um, I, now, is that, is, I mean, in reality, yeah. because justices of the Supreme Court are also, you know, you know, citizens of the United States, can they look past the potential consequences this could unleash hell in this country if he if this goes the way that you know colorado would like it to go and other states what else was it massachusetts that also kicked him off the ballot oh, it was maine maine, maine. Was the other one besides. um yeah so if 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 this starts going that way I mean, I, I could see a lot of armed resistance to the idea, Ken Katkin. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I, I don't think the court should um, be afraid of armed resistance because it's, you know, that's really the job of law enforcement to put no, that I'm down. No, I'm afraid. But, I'm but, afraid of armed resistance. The court, the <laughs> I court... think what they have to be more afraid of, actually, and this is, I think, more what Kagan was pushing on, but Roberts was too, is, you know, it, it, it's more, it would be more of an issue for the court if, if they... Um, if they end up affirming the Colorado uh, uh, holding and, and letting Colorado declare that Trump's an insurrectionist and therefore he can't be on the ballot, you're going to have lots of Republican county elected officials in, in very red counties and red states saying, no, Biden's the insurrectionist. So I'm kicking him off the ballot. And that becomes, you know, a true legal problem. That, that's, you know, that's not a law enforcement problem. That's a problem for courts. And so um, uh, so so I, I think that I think that is a reasonable uh, fear that the court has to deal with. It has to come up with a ruling um, that would be robust against that kind of thing. And I think that's what uh, Kagan was really the one trying to push them towards. You know, Kagan's trying to get these these um, Republican justices to say, look, uh, yeah, I can rule in favor. I can vote in favor of putting Trump back on the ballot. But what we have to say is that, you know, local and state officials can't take people off a ballot. And uh, and I think and I think she sees value in, in getting that um, out of them in terms of that's what they're going to say. Well, one of the lawyers for Colorado, uh, Mr. Murray, um, said that the purpose, quote, of the constitutional safeguard is to protect democracy, not just for the next cycle, but for generations to come. And then his words actually were the reason we're here 
is that President Trump tried to disenfranchise 80 million Americans who voted against him, and the Constitution doesn't require that he be given another chance. Great. I thought that was pretty good. Well, I think that's good, and I think it's true. I mean, I, I think if I think that that argument has more merit than than the contrary argument, but you're dealing with the fact that the 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 Republicans are going to cast votes for political reasons in favor of Trump, and that's just baked into the whole thing. That the the Supreme Court isn't there, you know, deciding who's got the better legal argument. They're there deciding, you know, what argument can we rely on to get Trump back on the ballot? Like that's the project. And that's why I think if, if the Democrats want to have any influence on that, um, they're going to probably have to slightly play ball. Like if the Democrats all just say, no, this is this is wrong. We're going to dissent. You know, we're going to we're going to um, you know, we're just we're just going to say that the Colorado Supreme Court got it right and Trump shouldn't be on the ballot. Um, then they're going to get outvoted six to three. And then who knows what those six justices in the majority are going to going to say. And whatever they say will be you know binding going forward. So. Um, I also think it'll be a small victory for the Democratic justices if they manage to convince the Republicans not to say anything that would disturb the lower court's findings that Trump, in fact, was an insurrectionist, right? So if, if the holding ends up being, you know, sort of, well, you know, state and local officials can't kick somebody off, period, even if they're an insurrectionist, then then that means the court's not saying um, that he's not an insurrectionist and the lower courts found that he is. And I think there is some benefit in, in leaving that, that lower court uh, finding of fact uh, standing and not having the Supreme Court overrule it. Ken Katkin is my guest here on Aerial View. Ken is a professor of constitutional law at Sam and P. Chase School of Law at Northern Kentucky University and chief custodian of Trash Flow Radio. Heard Saturdays, 3 p.m., in uh, Cincinnati, if you're driving around, pick up 88.3 FM. But otherwise, if you're online, what's the new website? WaifRadio.org. And Chris, are, are my listeners going to get to hear your voice on there tomorrow? I did record a little remembrance of Mojo, which is why I didn't tell that story here. I didn't <laughs> yeah. want to double Excellent. dip on that story. Tune in tomorrow. You hear Chris T. on Trash Flow Radio. Thank you for that. Now, is there an, a potential off-ramp? I've heard about a potential off-ramp for the Supreme Court on this case that has something to do with whether or not this uh, part of Section 3, Amendment 14, is self-executing or not, or whether or not it, there needs to be a statute statute enacted Yeah, I've Congress. heard that, too. I, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, in fact, has been used many times. You know, it was used many times in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War to disqualify quite a lot of Confederates. Um, and it's even been used again in the post-January uh, 6th era um, to disqualify. There were some people who were actually in the crowd that broke into the Capitol on January 6th and who have um, subsequently tried to run for local offices, and, and judges have disqualified them under Section 3 as well. So I, I really don't— Ooh, I want to see the... those commercials. I want to see their ad campaign. <laughs> yeah. I broke into the Capitol once. I'll break in again. <laughs> Maybe they're running in places where that would be popular. But right. the fact that it's been done a lot over a period of 150 years and nobody's ever thought it needed a statute before, and most of the rest of the Constitution doesn't need a statute to be implemented. It just implements itself. I, I think that's a that's another moronic argument. Hey, I know we're going to run out of time, but one aspect of this oh, I no, do Oh, no, we've got 15 minutes more. Don't you worry about that. we got a late oh, we've got start, Ken Kacken. Yeah, oh, yeah. we got a late start. Oh. So, we got a late start. I didn't know yeah, if we yeah. still had to finish at the We're, same time. No. I oh, run okay. things. I run things around here. I can finish whenever right. I want. I can keep you on another two hours talking about the Supreme Court. 
but I won't. Then I don't have to rush as much as I thought. But one yeah. other thing I want to say about the Supreme Court decision we've just been talking about, you know, and I think we can assume that it's going to come down in favor of putting Trump back on all the ballots. But um, uh, it doesn't really completely end the controversy because if they're just ruling that he has to be on the ballots, they're, they're, and, and if the reason that they're ruling that is that they're saying that state and local officials don't have the authority or the jurisdiction to find that he was an insurrectionist or to take him off the ballot, um, but they're not upsetting that lower court finding that, in fact, he was an insurrectionist, then there's going to be a chapter two uh, in this story because, um, you know, although I hope there won't be because I hope he won't get elected and he won't win the Electoral College or anything like that. But hypothetically, if Trump actually then ends up you know, with um, the most electoral votes and January 6th of the year 2025 rolls around um, and it's time to count those electoral votes, just like what happened four years ago, um, even though they have amended the Electoral Count Act and they've made it a little bit harder than it was before for individual members of Congress to bring objections, and you would actually need now about um, 20 senators or something like that to bring an objection under the new revised Electoral Count Act, um, it would certainly be possible uh, that, that the Democratic senators um, and the Democratic House members um, could object to the counting of those electoral votes because it's still, it is part of the process of counting the electoral votes that the members of Congress have to find um, that the person is eligible, right? And so we did see this big controversy about that in 2021. We also saw a smaller controversy about that back in 2001. There were some objections to counting the Florida votes for George W. Bush um, in 2021, but but it could this could be um, revoted in the Congress, and the Congress wouldn't be at all bound by anything that the Supreme Court would have decided, because the Supreme Court would not have decided whether Trump was or wasn't an insurrectionist. They would have only decided that the um, Colorado officials don't have jurisdiction to make that that call. So Congress would still have the ability to make that call. The act that you just mentioned when they revamped uh, the Electoral Act. Uh, yeah. Did they also clarify the role of the vice president to remove any doubt as to whether or not the vice president could uh, do what Trump was asking Mike Pence to do on January Yes, 6th? they amended that. So Kamala Harris cannot unilaterally decide not to count the votes. But um, but if 20 senators uh, sign an objection, and again, it used to just be one senator and one representative, and Trump was trying to argue that the vice president could do it unilaterally. So the Electoral Count Act was amended to say... It, the vice president can't do anything unilaterally, and it's going to take 20 senators, not just one senator and one representative. But if there's objections raised by a requisite number of um, of senators, then uh, there can be debate and vote, uh, and you know, and then it would be majority rules on um, which wh whether these electoral votes should be counted or not. And it would be it would be a ground to not count them uh, that the person that they are um, being cast for is not eligible to take the office. It's all so convoluted. And how is it connected to the immunity case that's going to be coming up, by the way? Isn't there some tissue connecting the two? That's only political. It's not legal. But, um, yeah, politically, a lot of people think, you know, again, we're seeing this kind of unusual behavior by these Democratic justices in in this week's case, where they all seem to be basically signaling they're, they're going to give their votes to Trump. We're going to get at least eight, one, maybe nine, nothing to put um, uh, Trump back on the Colorado ballot. Um, some people think that that's part of a big political deal within the court where, um, you know, they're they're going to play nice with the Republicans in this case. And they, they have some tacit understanding that the um, at least a couple of the Republicans are going to play nice with them 
uh, in the immunity case. Uh, Trump's immunity case is completely frivolous. It, you know, every judge that has looked at it has concluded that. Uh, the, the D.C. Circuit panel did have, in fact, the, the most conservative the most conservative D.C. Circuit judge who was appointed by uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush many years ago um, was on that panel, and she agreed with the two Democratic appointees on that panel. Um, and I think, it, 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 you know, the, the United States versus Nixon case, when Richard Nixon was raising similar arguments after the Watergate break-in, that he could do whatever he wanted and he could break into places if he wanted and he was totally immune from criminal law. Uh, the court nine nothing rejected that claim and 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 four of those nine were his own appointees. And I think um, you know a lot of people think that you know since really no justice and no no D.C. Circuit judge really no legitimate jurist has ever said that the president is above the law and the president is free to violate the law and, and isn't accountable to law. Um, that there's really no no wiggle room here for Trump, and he's going to lose that case. And you know who knows what Thomas or, or Alito would do because they're just you know 100% partisan and corrupt. But I think some of the other justices, including especially maybe the ones that Trump appointed, you know, aren't going to want to look like that was a deal they made to get uh, appointed. And I, I think that there is a sense here that the three Democratic justices could get at least two, maybe three of the Republican justices to join them. Um, and that's why they're that some people say that's why they're not ruffling feathers and making too much trouble uh, about um, uh, putting Trump back on the Colorado ballot. Uh, I heard that that um, was actually a thing of beauty, uh, that that judgment from the D.C. Court of Appeals. Have you had the chance to read it? Yes, it was a thing of beauty. I mean, I was wondering why it was taking so long, because it seemed to me that, you know, time is of the essence here. And uh that the, the issues were frivolous and they should have been able to just bang something out really fast, which they didn't do. But what I came to realize when I read the opinion is they were dealing with the fact that they had uh, you know a three-judge panel, two Democrats, one Republican, one very conservative Republican, and they really wanted to make it unanimous, right? And, and I think they had to do some, some work to write uh, a really good, really tight, you know, just really well-reasoned and well-supported opinion that, you know, probably over-explains, you could almost say mansplains, you know, some stuff that's sort of obvious. But I think, you know, they just really needed to dot all their I's and cross all their T's to keep it bipartisan. And uh, and I think that was important. Um, I think that it was so good, in fact, that there is a chance, you know, not a huge chance, but I think a chance that the Supreme Court just simply refuses to take the case. You know, they overwhelmingly do take these cases that Trump brings because both because he was the president and because he's always bringing claims that are so idiotic that they're actually unprecedented. So the Supreme Court is always like, oh, we have an unprecedented case here. We might have to take it. Does that make them all hot under their robes? Do they get all hot? Oh, under their robes? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. They're like, ooh. But I think in this case, it's, you know, they may not have anything different to say than than what the, the D.C. Circuit just said. And and I think they might actually prefer to just leave all those words in the mouths of the D.C. Circuit judges and, and not bother, Here, you know, having to repeat them, you know, repeat them again. One thing I wasn't clear on is why the conversation that happened uh, about the Colorado case didn't really just focused on what happened on January 6th. Was there no thought to everything else that he tried to pull to to steal the election or is it just a matter of we can't get past the fact that he hasn't been convicted of insurrection yet? And that's what all of this hung on. Well, I, I think also, um, you know, you were seeing it at the Supreme Court level, and you're right, that's what they discussed there. But that's really because the Trump lawyers were kind of shaping the contours of the discussion. 
and none of the justices were pushing back too hard against it. But that's not the way it went in the lower courts, right? So in the in the um, trial court in Colorado, uh, where Trump was first found to be an insurrectionist, you know, there was a, a, a month-long trial. There was a ton of evidence put on, and the trial judge wrote a kind of painstaking opinion, you know, showing that the you know the um, the speech on the Oval on January sixth, where he told people to go down to the Capitol. Um, was very much coordinated with, um, you know, a lot of other activities that it was connected to. So he'd already been organizing these fake electors to send up these fake electoral votes. He'd already been, been putting pressure on all these state officials to certify the fake electoral votes. He had, in fact, organized for people to bring the fake electoral votes to the Capitol that day. And he'd arranged with that idiot senator from Wisconsin to bring them in because other people couldn't even get into the Capitol that day until they broke in in a riot. But like earlier in the day when the security was still in place, uh, a messenger wouldn't have even been able to get in to convey the fake electoral votes. So Senator Ron Johnson brought him in. Trump had coordinated all that. He'd been pressuring uh, um, uh, Pence. You know, he, he had also organized through Roger Stone for these militias like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters all to be down there and foment real violence so that when he also sent just like a bunch of ordinary yahoos and down to the Capitol. And he knew they were armed he, and he said, let my people in. They're not here to harm me because they wouldn't. If you look at the pictures, like he he's such a he's so consumed with image and, and what it looks like on television that when he saw the size of the crowds and how many were outside the gates, he was like, why are all those people thousands outside the gates of this rally? And they're like, well, they can't get through. They don't want to go through the uh, magnometers. They, they, you know, the things yeah. that tell if you got a weapon on you and he's like, Oh, they're not here to harm me. Let them in. I mean, he, right. he. I mean, he knew. They told him these people are armed, and he turned them on the Capitol. Right, and not just them, because all the morons that showed up at the Oval for his speech, armed. That's that's just you know they just showed up. But separate from that, uh, he through Roger Stone, you know, organized these militias like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters. They didn't even go to the Oval. Mm. Like they were already at the Capitol, armed. They were just waiting for everybody else to show up. Yeah. So that they could, you know, so they could foment uh, violence and make sure that a lot of violence happened and that there was a serious effort to physically break into the Capitol and disrupt the vote count because that was all part of their um, strategy for getting the fake votes counted. And he did not leave that to the chance of who would show up to a speech and listen to him. He sent other militias straight down to the Capitol who didn't even bother going to the speech but, and were already there but to break we're, into the But Capitol. we're supposed to believe that this was just a spontaneous case. Yeah. The Colorado trial court judgment talks about all that. The Colorado Supreme Court affirms all that. Right. And even though the Colorado Supreme Court divided 4-3 on whether to kick him off the ballot, they were 7 nothing in affirming the fact that he was an insurrectionist. They just didn't agree about the legal consequence of whether they could kick him off the ballot. Um, and so that's all been aired out there. It's also been aired out as well in all of Jack Smith's indictments um, in the D.C. case um, where, you know, the you know, because the indictments already issued from a grand jury, you know, even though Trump hasn't been convicted yet. In fact, the, that means a grand jury already found that there's probable cause that um, to believe that all those things will be proved in the criminal trial. So they've already seen enough evidence to issue. I mean, a, there were bombs. There were, bo- there were bombs, for God's sakes. But now they want to say that this was a spontaneous riot. Do people bring bombs to spontaneous riots? I don't know. Maybe. I. Th- there was nothing spontaneous about this. And, and, right. There was nothing spontaneous and, and, about and, it. And we keep finding out more and more about how not spontaneous it was. But in the few minutes that we have left, let's just pivot for a minute to the special counsel's report that just came out about what uh, what Joe Biden did with documents that he took home while vice president. 
And it's pretty damning, even though he's not going to be charged with a crime. The reason he's not going to be charged is already a Republican ad. It's because he's a well-meaning elderly man, you know, with memory problems. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't know what exactly this guy said in his report. But it, when you find out that it was a Trump appointee that wrote this yeah. report, you, it, 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 this report, it makes it a little more clear as to how he managed to sneak in this real partisan. Uh, I mean, what do you think of this, Ken? What, what, what's your opinion of, of what uh, what is this? Her? Is that his name? H-E-R? Yeah, her is his name. Yeah. I, I blame Merrick Garland for releasing it. It should not have been released. Right. It, it's it's a report that with that language up, um, intact, you mean it shouldn't have been released with that language intact? He shouldn't. He all. shouldn't have allowed the special counsel. Yeah, I mean, okay. it, it actually doesn't find that you know this this Trump appointed special prosecutor who had all the resources of the Justice Department and who investigated this thing up the wazoo concluded that there was no probable cause to believe that the president committed any crime. Now, the the normal, um, you know, the the normal Justice Department policies would would always say uh, if you don't indict somebody. Then you don't uh, um, you don't you don't badmouth them. You don't trash them. You don't say negative things about them. You know you have an investigation, and either it produces an indictment uh, or it doesn't. But the 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 Justice Department's not supposed to be in the business of like just trashing and slagging people. And uh, I know Garland was like, well, it's different because he's the president. But really, this was it was such a political hit piece, and Garland absolutely had the legal authority to just say, okay, I've received the independent counsel's report. Uh, it doesn't um, uh, recommend any indictments, and uh, it does have some 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 political slurs on the president, and I I don't think that needs to be released. Um, he could have done that, and I, I think he actually should have done that. I it, it's just I I ever I read that story and I was like, oh dear God, I can't I can't live through another Trump administration. I really can't. I really can't do it. I mean. Is there no chance that either Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Gavin Newsom or somebody is going to step forward? <laughs> Actually, Chris, I don't think it's a good idea politically. I, I think we have to stick with Biden because, yeah. you know, first of all, the reason Biden was the nominee in, in 2016 and won the election is because more than just about anyone else, he can hold together all the diverse strands of the Democratic coalition, which is a pretty big coalition. And look what he's look what he's achieved so it. far. I mean, my God, we had a soft landing from the recession. I mean, his idea of building from the middle out instead of the top down, getting rid of trickle down economics, that alone has transformed the economy. And you know, of of the major economies of the world, ours is doing the. I mean, the goddamn Dow, the S and P keeps rising higher and higher. And you know, I I think those suckers aren't going to want to necessarily change horses for the chaos of Donald Trump. That's number one. Right. But you know, I don't yeah. think anybody in a general election. The only thing that gives me any solace in a general election. Trump's brand isn't really people aren't buying it. They don't right. want to go back to that. Everybody right. I mean, remembers Biden what it got was like. seven million more votes than Trump last time. So did Hillary Clinton, and she lost. For Biden, what's that? So did Hillary Clinton, and she lost, though. So, yeah, you know, but, but she got three million more, and then yeah. uh, Biden got seven million more. Okay, but 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 I think um, also I don't think a single one of those people who voted for Biden last time is changing their mind and voting for Trump this time. No, so. 
So I, I think, and and you know, even though there's a number of specific issues where you could find Democrats who are mad at Biden about this, that, or the other thing, um, substantially all Democrats a don't want Trump, and b um, you know think Biden's doing a good job on some things, even if they don't agree with him on everything. So I, I think uh. he can hold he can hold it together. It would create a, such a ton of divisiveness if he s- stepped down because there would be you know a free for all about who was going to replace him, and I think that that would be too divisive to hold that coalition together. Well, here's what I'm going to do between now and November, Ken. I'm going to grow my nails so I'll have something to bite. That's what I got to do. Because <laughs> right now, the nails are all gone. But I want to thank you for uh, being part of this program yet again. Ken Katkin, who is a professor of constitutional law at the Sam P.J. School of Law at Northern Kentucky University and chief custodian of Trash Flow Radio at WAIF-FM 88.3 in Cincinnati and on the web at WAIFradio.org. Tomorrow at 3 p.m., uh, paying tribute to Mojo Nixon, who left us way too soon. You want to give us a little taste of what's uh, on tap for tomorrow? I do have a few people, uh, hopefully including you, who knew him. I didn't know him, even though he lived right up the road from me. But mm-hmm. I have a few people who knew him who have recorded uh, uh, remembrances exclusive to Trash Flow Radio. Um, even someone who was his girlfriend in 1984, I tracked down to wow. do that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, um, and then I'm going to play some records and talk about them a little bit. That will not take up the whole two hours. I think I'll probably, you know, have a, maybe a one hour segment of the show about Mojo Nixon. And, you know, there's other things going on tomorrow too. It's, uh, it's Bertolt Brecht's birthday tomorrow. Oh, wow. And it's nice. Uh, and it's, yep. The birthday of uh, Janet Beveridge Bean of, of Freakwater and 11th Dream Day. So I'll probably play some records of theirs as well. Um, but yeah, it's certainly I'm going to try to, you know, Mojo, I feel like for him, it's it's better to, for if I can, I'm going to try to get more talk like about him. You know, his records, I like his records, but they're, you know, if you just played his records for an hour, it would start to sound samey same in a way, I think. So right. I think I want to break it up as much as I can with talk. I don't yeah. know what you think about that. Well, no, I think Mojo mined his vein until... Uh... Yeah. (laughs) Until the mind gave out, basically. But yes, Mojo knew what he was doing, and that's what he did. And one of the great things about Mojo is he wasn't looking to be in everybody's lane. He was in his lane, the Mojo lane. And I also think knowing what he's doing, which I agree with, that's why he actually switched his efforts over more to being a DJ than to being a a recording artist. Yeah. No, he was in the long tradition. There's a lot of musicians who started out on the radio or simultaneously they were on the radio while they did their music act. I mean, the list is long, and he was one of those folks. So uh, tomorrow at 3 p.m. on WAIF-FM and WAIFradio.org. And, Ken, it's always a pleasure to have you here. Thanks again for joining me. And uh, I'm sure you'll be back because there's going to be more news out of the SCOTUS Supreme Court. Thanks, as always, for having me, Chris. And uh, we will uh, move things along back to the classic Hound shows that you hear here on the HoundNYC.com. This program will replay on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, I may be or may or not be back. Actually, I won't be back next Friday with a live aerial view because I will be away. I'll be visiting Austin, Texas to take in some live music and uh, to attend the Ameripolitan Awards next Sunday. That ought to be interesting. So I'll uh, I'll try to return the Friday after that. How about that? And uh, again, if you if you can track it down, tonight's the night to watch the Beatles landing on the Ed Sullivan show at um 
what was it? I, I don't know what time that went out. 7 p.m., 8 p.m.? I don't know. Maybe you want to coordinate it. Maybe you want to time it so that it hap- you're watching it at the same time it happened 60 years ago. The Beatles blowing everybody's mind. This is Chris T., and uh, I'll see you real soon. Think you've lost your love? Well, I saw her yesterday. It's you she's thinking of, and she told me what to say. She says she loves you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She loves you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She loves you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She said you hurt her so. She almost lost her mind. Poor girl. And now she says she knows that you're not the hurting kind. She says she loves you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She loves you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She loves you. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. Oh. You know, what? it's up to you. Is it? I think it's only fair. True. Pride can hurt you, too. Apologize to her. I will not. Because she loves you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. She loves you, Seamus. Does she? Oh, yeah. God, I love her, too. Yeah. I do. She oh, does. God knows I love oh, her. Yeah. I do. I love that girl. Oh, God. I love that girl, and I want to fuck her as quick as I can.